to episode 70 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we have taken a bit of a break lately on the podcasting front. Yeah, we just, uh, I, mean, I think it's a couple things. I think one weekend we were busy uh, with family and then another weekend we're uh, just exhausted and nothing not really feeling like there's anything new, which was, uh, you just reminded me, was the topic of our last podcast. <laughs> yeah, the last, time we, the last time we recorded a podcast, I think we were complaining that it feels as though, we were just talking about this before we hit the record button, kind of feels like we're trapped in sort of Groundhog Day, right? Where we're um, sort of, everything is the same, the same things keep happening, and I think that for me, what the frustration of it is, it's it feels as though we all feel we all I think are starting to recognize that we're in these patterns with these narratives, and there doesn't seem to be any resolution to any of them. We just seem to be um, repeating, repeating, repeating. I mean, whether it's you know the sort of anti-democratic fallout of uh, various social media or digital technologies or whether it's sexual assaults, sexual harassment allegations, um, you name it. It just feels like we're circling around and around um, with, with the same stories, which I don't know, I'll speak for myself, has actually been really difficult to feel like I have anything new to contribute. Yeah, same here. I mean, I, uh, I've been trying to write. I had a couple gaps this week just because I'd hit days where I'm like, uh, I I have nothing. I'm saying the same things over and over, and and people seem to eat it up. Like it's actually not. It's it's not like, well, I'm not getting page views or traffic. I mean, my traffic on my website is continually growing. People are listening. I'm I'm having success by all measures, but I'm saying the same thing about technology, and people don't seem to be listening to it. Pausing. Uh, investing anything in like security or or any considerations around privacy uh people just seem to keep plowing forward and yet we keep saying the same thing over and over yeah it's um i'm in the process i spent uh, i guess we should know um usually we sort of locate ourselves even though we're sort of voices um digitally recorded voices we tend to locate ourselves i'm in the new apartment you're in the old apartment. So we aren't together at the moment. Um, Where is is new and where is old? (laughs) New is New York City. Old is Hermosa Beach. Yes. And I've spent... Yeah, go ahead. I'm in Hermosa Beach uh, packing up the last bits of our existence here and sending them in route to you. Um, So I've spent the last week, um, we've been apart for a week now, I've spent the last week um, working in part on what I do have done for the last three years is I've collected together all the talks that I've given throughout the course of the year and self-published a book. Um, it was a trilogy, but now I don't know what the word is for. for um, uh, this will be the fourth Monsters of Education Technology book. And so, you know, one of the things going through um, going through the, the book is this, I mean, I feel like it's this really heavy burden of saying to folks, like, this looks like a bad idea. 
And then people just sort of plowing, plowing forward with it. I noticed, noted that the first talk I gave, the first keynote or, or talk I was invited to give this year was at the University of Richmond. Um, and my friend Ryan had invited me to speak there. Um, and he'd asked if I speak about education technology and Trump. And it was at the beginning of the very beginning of the Trump administration, I think it was like the third or fourth of February when I gave this talk and cautioning about all this data collection, saying schools really need to think education technology companies, but schools really need to right now think about what they're collecting um, because I predicted that there were going to be some bad things happening under Trump in which that the most vulnerable among us would have um, pretty negative fallout from from the kinds of really vast data collection that we've seen happening. And, you know, sure enough, Trump rescinded DACA, for example. Um, ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement under Trump, has has beefed up its deportation, not just deportation at the border, which happened a lot under Obama, but raids, um, raids of people's houses and, and deporting people who have no criminal record, um, who have just, um, who've overstayed their visa or been in the country um, on, without, doc, without proper documentation. Um, anyway, so it just feels like it's just, it's just really frustrating. And I'm coming up on the end of the year roundup of posts that I, or, you know, the sort of series I always write about what's happened in ed tech over the course of the year. And I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm feeling, I'm really, really feeling low. Well, and people, it's just, it's really hard to keep, I mean, I, I can keep saying some of the same things over and over and finding different ways, creative ways of saying it. But when, when people are acknowledging in the press that things are, are bad or things are going wrong, you know, what's happening with Facebook and the advertising and all the the fallout from this election, as this is all happening, um, as Google is, is, you know, their advertising networks are trying to understand how, how we we keep people from influencing us in, 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 in these weird ways, as breaches like Equifax happen where, you know, a third of the U.S. population gets basically doxxed and all of our information put out there, people like Zuckerberg and others are like, yes, this, this, we're, we're going to do whatever we can to fix this. And then everyone just goes back to what they were doing full steam ahead with new projects to, to create networks, to create, you know, gather data, even more data to surveil, to do things, to plug in cities, plug in neighborhoods, plug in our children. Um, I shared a story with you this week about, you know, children's wearable watches and, we just don't ever seem to take pause and actually learn from what's happening right now. It's like we just had, you know, a series of, of very big breaches and and compromise our election. And yet we're still talking about how we can, you know, keep doing this. It's just it, it's so it's a weird Groundhog Day for sure. So the story that one of the stories I want to touch upon, and we've got a couple of things. I mean, we aren't we aren't obviously you know it's been a couple it's been two weeks since we've done a podcast. We aren't going to sort of catch up on all of the news um, that's occurred, both in quote unquote Silicon Valley and and in the politics of tech. But we have a couple of stories, and the first one I think does really underscore what some of what you just said, which is 
on one hand, we're having a conversation about the ways in which um, technology companies, um, particularly internet, internet technology companies whose, um, whose business model is advertising, who are data, data-centric and who are really shaping, shaping how we think about news, news and information. We're having a conversation about how these companies are, have profoundly damaged democracy, right? So that's one conversation. And then at the same time this week, there were headlines all over the place, because this is what happens with these big PR pushes, that Alphabet, right, the company formerly known as Google, plans on, quote unquote, revolutionizing city building. That's the headline from the Globe and Mail. And its target is Toronto. I mean, if they have to go after Canada, I'm like, can't, can't we just have one nice place? Yeah. The rest of the world is shit, right? My favorite city, the place that I thought I would move to, Barcelona, is now like, I don't even, I mean, I can't even like, I don't even want to go there with what's going on in Barcelona right now. But, you know, we're going to, they're going to go, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to go after Toronto. Like Toronto is just like the nicest city I've ever been in in my life. And Google's founders, this is the New York Times headline, Google's founders want to shape a city. Toronto is their chance. And this is the lead of the the New York Times story. Google's founders have long fantasized about what would happen if the company could shape the real world as much as it has life on the internet. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, don't. Like, like say, uh, you know, getting people to show up at protests and drive over people and believe in, and, you know, there's this endless ways in which Google has shaped our physical worlds. And again, no one is pausing to even think, think twice about it. And granted, these, these movements are probably already in motion. I mean, I'm sure this partnership is something that Toronto has been working on. And there's certain people there that are probably pretty excited about this happening. And, and Google has has it going on and 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 it's in motion but similar to like we saw with the equifax breaches the week after the equifax breach we saw a government contract from the irs awarding uh, a a no-bid contract to equifax for for helping with with privacy and security of data and um you know so these things are in motion but 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 the irs has said hey uh pause let's actually not do this and let's let's question this whether they're going to or not i don't know but it seems like with some of these projects like google's at at toronto we could go well wait wait you know google just did a whole bunch of damage during the election and is is continuing to do this do we really want to spread this to the physical world in our neighborhood, in our city? Let's just at, at least have a conversation about it. Right. That. So to explain a little bit about what this project is, it's called Sidewalk Labs. Um, apparently Google or Alphabet um, uh, has, or Toronto has uh, about 800 acres of waterfront property um, ready for redevelopment. And Alphabet AKA Google has partnered with the city in order to quote unquote, rethink what urban development looks like. Um, And I think when we, you know, 
there's, I think that this is a really important um, element that, that both, that is not just about sort of civic projects, right, public projects, but is, a, but is more broadly sort of shot, our whole sort of culture is shot through with that, is that we've really confused, quote unquote, innovation and, with um, sort of buying into a particular ideology and even more so branding by a few of these um, high-tech companies, right? So the idea of doing something, quote-unquote, new with um, urban development could look many, I mean, it could look at many different things, but the idea that this would be somehow, that this, it necessarily has to be technological, and it has to be technological in a specific kind of way, right? It has to be technological in the kind of way that we associate with with Google, with Google. Um, so quote unquote smart cities, right? And what we what we know already, because as you said, I mean Google is already heavily invested in the physical world, um, not just through things like Nest, right? That control your um, the temperature your thermostat at home, um, an internet connected um, thermostat, but through their Google Home speaker. Um, through the self-driving car, through mapping technology, through Google Fiber. Um, and the trade-off with Google, because at the end of the day, this is an advertising company, the trade-off is you hand over your data in exchange for these groovy, wacky, innovative, googly products and services. Um, and so what does that mean to that a city would hand over the future of a particular um, public civic development, um, property development, to Google? What, are, what do people have to give up um, in order to be there, live there, work there, play there, walk through there, travel through there, shop there? And the answer's data. One. And and who are we handing you know this data over to? We're you know at at a time where we 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 should be pausing and discussing how how transparent we want to be about who's buying ads that are in front of you know that we see every day uh, online and in in an environment like this it's going to be offline. Um, you know I I see a couple digital screens where people in the pictures they have where people are engaging with this beautiful environment around them not just through a, 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 a visual screen that they're working with, but I see uh, bikes, the biking, you know, public bikes that are obviously plugged in. I see a transit system that's obviously plugged in. I see commerce. I see buildings. Everything's plugged in. And, but, pl- and but plugged in, plugged in is, not, is not neutral here, right? Yeah, we, I mean, plugged, in, plugged in. in. But, but plugged in, you know, we... Um, Public inf- when we think about how infrastructure works, right? Public infrastructure, um, we've already seen. I mean, and this is sort of classically neoliberalism. We've already seen publicly run entities um, become privately run entities. So, what does it mean that the future that we're envisioning, we Toronto, is envisioning a city in which plugged in is specifically to not to public 
not to the publicly owned electric company, right? That, hey, my cousin Pete works for, um, right? That um, uh, Ontario Hydroelectric, and I don't even, I can't even give it the proper shout out. But like, that this is plugged into Google. Well, and all Google's partners and advertising partners, this is plugged into Twitter, this is plugged into Facebook, all of it's built in. And as as we're assessing at the exact same moment, what you know, what sort of transparency do we expect around these providers, around who they're sharing data with? Who well, they expect transparency they're, from us. They're okay. giving tools to help target us in these environments. You know, if we're going to be extending Google's reach beyond just Google.com and the Google products we're using online, they're baked into our buildings, our city square, it looks like our healthcare. Um, all you know, all the trans transit, the supply chain, yeah. this whole supply chain, they're tapped in at every level. And if there's not observability and transparency around who they're sharing that data with, who they're giving you know tools, and and I mean, I hate to beat the whole Russian horse thing, but like you know, if we're gonna let them, some you know, a foreign entity start poking around in our neighborhood, and and hitting us with ads, sending, you know, sending data, tracking on how we're riding our bikes, what we're doing. If we're not even having that conversation, why are we building new projects? Why well, Google, Google is way? a foreign entity in Canada. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, to me, when, you know, this is perhaps like a, I don't want to go off on a Russian tangent either, but the, the, the threat of what to me Russia is sort of collapses when we say Russia, um, it collapses a lot of things into I think what for some people not strangely not for a lot of people but for some people is sort of um, harkens back to sort of these old Soviet um, era you know um, Cold War era threats of sort of a foreign a foreign a foreign military enemy but I think that what we have when we talk about "Quote unquote Russia today." It's it's a collapse of a lot of corporate interests, um, and I think that that's what's I think that that's what's significant about the the quote unquote Russian influence is this isn't simply a matter of Putin or a foreign government that this is to me sort of a signal of sort of a broader um, a signal signal of all sorts of corporate oligarchies that are interested in subverting democracy. Um, and I think that that's, I think that that's, I think that that's really significant. And I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked to see that this, this happening in, um, in Toronto, partially because of my work, you know, in education technology. Um, I know that many of the provinces the now Canada does, Canada doesn't have a federal, Department of Education the way the U.S. does, but many of the provincial governments have a long have for a long time been a little um, how do, how should I say it? they they have they have not necessarily sanctioned schools using um, U.S. companies particularly after the Patriot Act for, because of concerns about privacy and um of of data that's housed on of privacy and security of canadians data in companies that's housed on u.s soil so perhaps google's just assured justin trudeau that all of this toronto data will live in toronto servers and that that's going to be like big bucks and hey maybe that's actually what 
you know, like that's, I mean, maybe that's how they've got around this, but this is, I mean, I think that this is a foreign, this is a, a foreign entity um, staking a claim on what the future of Toronto looks like. Well, they may be able to keep the raw data that is is generated around all of this there on physical servers, but the the analysis, the models developed from that, the the surveillance capitalism that's going to be derived from all of this. There's a guarantee. There's nothing in place to keep any of that there and to keep that awareness of Canadian citizens being shared with corporate entities that have. Uh, you know, corporate offices in, in countries all around the world. And so, you know, while, while we're having a conversation about this as Americans around advertising in our social networks, and then the, the, the wider, why are we gathering our data and brokering this in the context of uh, the credit rating agency, Equifax, and, and the security and privacy of that as as we're having these these large scope conversations i mean in my opinion all of these types of projects should should not necessarily be put on pause but they should become under a a, a, a pretty high level scrutiny about the data i mean w- one thing that really bothers me about like the branding around this is constantly you see how this is human centered centered but but in every single image there is data generation data gathering technical and so even though it's all... The humans have human, no faces. Yeah, the humans have no faces. Good point. I actually didn't, didn't notice that. The humans have no faces. Ah, but there's, uh, you know, and they don't show all the security cameras. They do show the kiosks and stuff like that. But this is all supposedly human-centered. And, but it's not. It's all technical, technologically centered. And it's all about gathering data, whether it's these bikes, these transit, these recycling carts, the water used on these trees, all of these things. Um, the healthcare. There's a kiosk out in front of the healthcare center. It's all about the data around this. And at this time, where we're having these super important conversations about advertising and eyeballs and, and access and 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 securing this. We're, we're just doubling down and, 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 and going forward. And not only are we moving forward blindly, people still think, love to go, oh, that Audrey's crazy, and she just loves to hate on technology, even though you wrote your pieces earlier this year that said, hey, we should be thinking about this. And, oh, there's several examples throughout the year of, of, of problems around surveillance of students that are propping up. People still are doubling down, and people still think you're wacky for saying it. Here's here's a claim, and I'll, like as always, um, the links to these the articles and the sites that we talk about are in the show notes. But here's a claim that that Google makes on its on the Sidewalk Labs site: um, a close lit community that uses data to improve city services. Better data combined with more accessible community hubs that offer a variety of local services enable a comprehensive approach to social and community services that deliver better outcomes to people at lower cost. So, um, and that's just one of, that's just sort of one of these sort of little pitches that they're making in this website. Um, But there's a number of, I think, really interesting things in that sentence. One is, of course, that it rests on data and it rests on this belief. And this is a belief that is absolutely fundamental to Google, right? That as long as you collect as you, you collect, you can actually probably never collect enough data, but as long as you co- 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 
collect as much data as possible, that you're going to be able to have insights that you wouldn't have been able to find in any other way through any, you know, there's, there's no need for a thesis or a hypothesis about how to improve uh, a city. The, the, the answer just sort of bubbles up naturally, if you will, from the data, which is, I think, I think untrue. There, um, I think that having a, having a hypothesis is, is, um, is, is important, but I think that this idea too, that somehow collecting data is sort sort of natural or that data, that data itself is, is natural or neutral is, is highly flawed. But I think that it's, um, that, that this is called, that this is framed in terms of outcomes. And this is a really familiar term to people in education reform, but perhaps also to people who work in tech. Outcomes is a particular way of speaking about this, the, the data that you want to see happen. Um, outcome is a particular um, way of, of framing it, and it feels very dehumanized to me. Um, and then, of course, this promise of lower cost, and that's something that in education, again, we've we've yet to see that. That that's it seems to me to be sort of un, uh, an unsubstantiated claim that the more and more data that we gather, that somehow that that's going to lead to efficiency. That the efficiency would actually even be a goal is, I think, questionable in the first place. But this idea that this is going to lead to, um, a, a you know, better outcomes at a lower price point, to me is is untrue, but also a particularly politi- a particular kind of political claim that's wrapped up in all sorts of um, logics around markets and surveillance. And you talk about the transparency of what happens to the data, but there's sort of a lack of transparency in this kind of worldview that, um, that's never really, I don't know if it's ever really scrutinized, again, because we've bought in so heavily to this notion that, that these technology companies, these Silicon Valley tech companies, um, and their sort of genius founders are going to save the public sphere and fix what is a broken system. And if it's cool, I want to switch to another recent claim around that, and that's one made by Elon Musk. Sure, sure. go ahead. Um, well, so this following the devastation of um, Hurricane Maria, the devastation of Puerto Rico, um, Musk stepped in as he often does. And I think that he's really interested. He's a great example of somebody who wants to sort of privatize the public sphere. And we see this with his efforts for towards space um, travel um, and uh, space freight, I guess, if you will. But also um, his work with Hyperloop um, to replace public um, transportation. Um, and now he, he suggested that um, his Powerwall batteries should be used to rebuild um, Puerto Rico's uh, um, uh, power grid. Because, of course, they're still, I mean, the, the island is still largely without power. Yeah. 
So, so I mean, I, so to bridge it back to that the other one about the 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 statement you were saying about you know building out this infrastructure on the waterfront in the city, and it's gonna uh, it's better data integration combined with accessibility hubs, all this to deliver better outcomes for people at lower cost. So the 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 real dangers of this type of thinking when it comes to this type of public infrastructure is that this stuff costs a lot of money. This stuff is increasingly expensive to do. And when it's done under um, government projects, you, 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 you hear how expensive it is and how, how much this costs and how bloated it is. But as soon as it, it transfers into this magical realm of Silicon Valley people, it, it, it automatically becomes much more efficient much more uh, accessible, usable, and it's at a lower cost. But there, there was a reason that it's at a lower cost, and you're able to tell this magical story because of all the data points it gathers that are then able to be sold to all the partners you won't hear about. That's what pays for what's going on. And then, two, it's also the access to deliver better outcomes at all of those internet connected data points so if it's the kiosk if it's the bike if it's your 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 power your battery and so the 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 magical story that that someone like elon you know that google can come in and fix the waterfront that elon can come in and and fix uh the the power grid infrastructure oh everyone can run on a battery oh everyone can run on a battery that operates at a certain level all the time Unless we pay a premium to unlock that, like in Tesla, you know, unless the the car, unless we pay a, a subscription fee to get at that, or if we decide that we don't want our data to be sold to partners, uh, Tesla partners and all of this. So, so all of this technology existing um, isn't, co isn't necessarily more efficient, necessarily more cost effective. It's just a new way to also generate revenue from the data and from allowing people like say the russians uh, to inject whatever they want and target you whether it's on the waterfront in toronto or whether you're you know um you know getting receiving power on an island in, in the caribbean people are going to be able to get get at your data people are going to be able to target you in some certain way whether it's with new services premium services cuts in your existing services all of this this new way of, of approaching our infrastructure comes with a cost. It's just not being honestly uh, conveyed to us as these magical, mythical stories get told. Well, a couple of a couple of things. So, first of all, um, the the punchline that I love with the Elon Musk story um, is that his Powerwall batteries require the internet. So I'm a little confused how an island that does not have functioning electricity, let alone um, barely operating internet, is going to somehow restructure itself to operate with these with batteries that require require internet connectivity. Um, Google, but, Google can fly in their balloon. <laughs> can, can or or Facebook, Facebook can use their 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 satellite, right? So, so that I mean, I think that that's that's part of it is that there there are these sort of miss there are these missing missing pieces in all of this, but I think that you know one of the things that we talked about I think I guess it's probably been a couple of months now 
was um, this notion of deplatforming, platforming and deplatforming, and that the ways in which you know these companies, companies like Google, companies like Facebook, have become in a way have already privatized the public sphere, um, public discourse. Um, that we have a lot of what we think of or the public square, the, a digital public square. We think of the internet and the web as being this quote of open space for an exchange of ideas, but when it's controlled by corporations, it's, it's not. And the conversations that we have there happen at the, um, happen sort of, really they, they happen thanks to um, these, these, these corporations deciding whether or not we're allowed to be there, whether they let us maintain our accounts, whether they censor or cancel our accounts. Um, whether they promote our accounts and whatnot, and so I think shifting that shifting that particular quandary, which I think we've seen these companies fail again and again and again at being uh, recognizing the power that they have, and at being good stewards of a proto public sphere. Right, these companies really suck at this. Uh, Twitter's, I think, Twitter's perhaps. Um, a great example, uh, you know, Twitter um, bending over backwards to sort of make sure that the all of the neo Nazis and white supremacists are verified on Twitter and and don't have their um, accounts, um, you know, that, that have not just access to Twitter but that have a blue check mark that grants them status as somehow being um, being experts and being legitimate legitimate public figures. So these companies really suck at being stewards of the public sphere. So why, of a digital public sphere. So why the hell would we grant them power over physical space, right? And so, you know, I, I, I remember the time that you and I took a ride in Google's self-driving car with um, our buddy Sebastian Thrun. And on the passenger um, side on where the glove compartment would be was a QR code that you were supposed to scan and okay the terms of service to be in the self-driving car. And I didn't scan it. Sebastian didn't ask us to scan it. We didn't click okay. So we didn't agree to, um, we didn't agree to, I guess, I guess have our data monitored. I'm sure we, we were being filmed. Um, I'm sure of it. Um, I don't know if our conversations were being recorded. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there if there are other pieces of that particular terms of service because I didn't click. I didn't. I didn't click agree or disagree. I didn't read them. But I think about what does it mean to have physical space where people are going to have to have some sort of terms of service agreement in order to participate in it. And what does that look like? What is you know. What, know what we know already about the way in which um, these terms tend to extract value away from people, trying to obfuscate what happens to people's data. And really, people are placed at a, are sort of disempowered already um, when their relationships with these giant, with these giant corporations. So what does it, what does it mean to have a, you know, a waterfront that's that's according to this, you know, already according to the drawings, and I think according to the imaginary, this is this is a place for affluent Torontoans, right? This is a place um, for 
sort of, you know, digital natives or whatever bullshit phrase that they want to use to describe this. But, you know, what what are the what are the agreements that people um, tacitly or or not um, have to to make with Google, not just with the city, right? We already agree to certain terms in the city, you know, that we know that we can get a ticket or get arrested if we violate the law. But what does it mean to have the law now be working hand in hand with a multinational corporation like Google? Well, and who, who's targeting me with ads and who's getting access to my data as I walk around, you know, this, this waterfront? Who, you know, why? And, and I, don't, I don't, you know, people love to think you and I hate on technology and don't think these conversations, these things shouldn't be happening at all. But, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, there shouldn't be some tech enablement and tech thinking when it comes to redesigning the waterfront. Just saying that people aren't stopping and having the conversations and as you said including the people in those conversations because this is very much a corporate-led initiative and how we can create an environment to to maximize our selling of other products and services to the people who exist live and operate within this this sphere and as you said that's not going to be everybody and you know and i think that what what happens you know what happens if you are a resistor right what happens if you um, don't want to participate in the in the term. Like, what happens if you don't agree with the terms of service, right? You can't because the part of it, this the part of the way in which these companies have become so powerful, is you can't even say, well, I'm not going to use Google. Like that's a actually, you can't even say I'm not going to use Facebook, right? Because the 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 tentacles of these companies really are. Are everywhere. There's sort of no. It's it's it is like capitalism. There's no outside. Even if you decide not to have a Facebook account, your data, your image, stuff about you is still. I'm not going to um, use Equifax. Picked up. Your, yeah, your data is still picked up by these companies. Even if you say, "I'm going to go out of my way," and I try to go out of my way to not use Google products, you still run into. You still find yourself having to interface with Google and then even against, you know, in, in places where you don't, you know, you, 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 um, you might still be picked up in a, um, your conversations might be picked up by other people. Your image might be picked up by other people, by, by, you know, by people using Google products. But what does it mean again, to have a public part of a city that is co- developed, co-owned, um, how does one be in that place without and without having one's life, really, all aspects of one's life be harvested for this other entity? And I think that, you know, we've, we've run over time, but I think that it's, you know, this is, this is what we're creeping towards. And in some ways, I, I wanted, we've run out of time, but I wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about Gates, Bill Gates's talk this week. We don't have time, but I mean, I think that the Gates Foundation, I'll just say the Gates Foundation is a great example of what happens when a powerful tech CEO decides that they're going to, for the betterment of the world, reshape the future of the public sphere to suit 
I mean, you know, I, I mean, Bill Gates is not, I don't think he's has nefarious sort of plans. He, he honestly thinks he's making the world a better place by spending his, his philanthropic dollars in certain ways, but it's anti-democratic. The rest of us have no chance of, of sort of providing any sort of counterbalance to that influence. And that's what's happened to the U.S. education in the last, you know, almost 20 years. And so to see these sort of civic projects, um, see these companies become increasingly interested in these vast civic projects, I mean, that's, that is the, what we see have, having happened in the U.S. education system under the influence of the Gates Foundation, that is a future, which is at least a not-for-profit, I suppose. That is absolutely the future that we're going to have, is the sort of um, technologically-led neoliberal um, data-harvesting urbanism that's, I think, something we should be super wary about. Yeah, but uh, how how do we get people to listen, right? Well, um, I don't know. I hopefully we have one or two Canadians who are listening who can like write a stern letter to Justin. <laughs> yes, we'll have. Hopefully, we have one Canadian podcast listener that will write a stern letter to Justin, <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I I think we we got to take it in a more of the same but in a slightly new direction this week so hopefully we can keep this going all right well uh till i I guess i'll say till next time then yes until next time not always necessarily next week till next time